0: Yo, podcast o'clock.
1: back in the saddle. Hey, welcome to the Lifestyle Business Podcast. And in the eternal struggle between buy and sell, we currently come up. We're
0: going to sell, man. I got a plane ticket to Bali, flying China Airlines, put it all on black, and I'm out of here. Of
1: course, today I'm joined by a man for whom everything is for sale, even his cat. What's in the news, sir? Uh
0: pretty pretty awesome week. We have been talking about our business for the past three days. Uh, actually, we've tried to get on the horn quite a few times and talk podcasts, but we ended up talking business every night, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, man, I, th- I think we've got a little bit of the startup fever looking for maybe ways
1: to package portions of our business to get a little bit of a cash bump so that maybe we can uh, start to invest in some new ideas that we're having. So that's been cool. And one of the lessons, Ian, that we're going to need to learn for that is how to make a business saleable and and looking at your business and sort of analyzing, you know, what is the valuation of it? Like, how do you sell this business? How do you find a customer for your business? Those are some advanced things that, uh, you know, we're first timers with all that. So... Uh, it's going to be very interesting to if, if we do end up going through that process to share that experience here on the podcast. But let's just get right into this week's episodes. We've got a lot of listener shout-outs and tips. Joel from the blog of Impossible Things, he's got to say that he's using MailChimp over Aweber for, no other, AWeber for no other reason than it's free for your first 500 subscribers. Some people do experience heartache when they get to high levels of subscribers with MailChimp, although that seems like a baller company and I assume they will be improving their service over time. I'm still an AWeber fanboy. I will link up to aweber.com for your mailing list stuff. Thanks to Christopher for for writing back. He thinks MailChimp is awesome as Joel does as well. And he's the one actually who gave us the quick uh, if you're into affiliate marketing or make money online, uh, that's not the best way to go. Also heard this from both Christopher and Jason uh, from thisweekin.com that MailChimp is now integrated with Reportive Gmail plugin, which is awesome. You can actually see uh, on Reportive, Ian, if somebody is subscribed to your newsletter with that email address and if they've opened the email newsletters that you sent out, that's baller. So you can actually see that. Reportive is of course a plugin that shows the social media uh, profile of whoever you're writing an email to. Well, you can actually see if that person has opened your emails. How
0: baller is that? That's baller. That means I don't have to stock people out anymore. That's pretty cool.
1: It's auto stock right in your uh, your Gmail. Hey, thanks to Jamie Marsden. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to be doing a SEO SEO series with him, Jamie is an SEO ninja, he's a a baller SEO guy, and so we're going to be like draining his brain, but he left some great feedback for Dallas in the blog comments, so if you're interested in, in how Jamie can improve your website, Get with that guy. Get on the blog. Do some commenty-commenty. comment Send a cake Jamie's way. And Venkat from ribbonfarm.com uh, agrees with you, Ian, that we are spammy as can be. And we should uh, try to come up with maybe more classy titles to our blog. Any listener shout-outs on your end, Ian?
0: Yeah, I had uh, old Lou Minder over at Lou Minder Me shout-out. He listened to uh, what we had to say about not using an alarm clock. He's a fan of that, and so he wrote a uh, blog post about it. So kudos to you, Lou. And I hope you keep waking up the natural way with your uh, wife or girlfriend yelling at you or your cat at your face.
1: piece of feedback we got, Dallas called us back, man, and let's take a quick listen to
0: that. Hey Dan, this is Dallas Carter calling from Honolulu. I just want to say thanks for reviewing my site. Um, I loved your input, even a lot of the comments on your blog after. A few things, first of all, I'm definitely going to be implementing a lot of the things that were mentioned. Probably going to turn my site into a WordPress site, I'm going to use some of like the Aweber and some of the things that you recommended. Uh, also. Thank you for uh, reviewing my site because it actually brought me some extra business, too, which is great. Uh, I did have a little surge in retail sales this week, thanks to you guys. So if you don't want to think that I took you guys' uh, post or your uh, episode for granted, very grateful for what you did, and uh, I hope you're able to do it for other people as well.
1: A couple things. Dallas, awesome. Thanks for calling back, man. I'm glad we could help make you some sales, buddy. Dallas is making some sales because of the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Booyah! Broadcasted around the world. I'm really glad to hear Dallas is going to be going to the WordPress platform. WordPress is awesome for 90% of sites. Not so awesome for e-commerce sites or large community sites, but for most marketing sites, WordPress is the way to go, baby. We're currently doing a WordPress install on Bluehost with AWeb with Thesis Theme right here at the Lifestyle Business Podcast. And it's baller, it's easy, it's scalable. Uh, We recommend that to anybody doing a marketing type of
0: site. Thanks so much, Dallas, for the call. Dallas, if you use PayPal, uh, let me know what your uh, info is and I will send you an invoice for that. An incredible weight loss story. Like, lost
1: 10 million pounds in in two... It's just an awesome video. You got to go see his site at 808fit.net. Very cool stuff. And Dallas can definitely help you uh, in your weight loss journey if, if that's something that you need. So today we've got one listener question, Ian from Isaac Udick, a software developer from Los Angeles. We both love Los Angeles, so we got a lot of love for Isaac. Let's take a quick listen. Hi guys,
2: my name is Isaac Dudek. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. And I'm at the point where I'm looking to launch my own thing. Uh, we're looking for people we can afford outsource uh, price levels. What is your experience in terms of culture, fire, entrepreneurial fire and spirit in outsourced employees? We're looking for, you know, to build a, a real team of people who care and want to grow with a company. You know, how likely it was we were going to find people like that. I'm a Ruby on Rails developer and I was wondering if you knew at all about the prevalence of that technology in a country like the Philippines, or uh, sort of related to the first question, if they're more focused on working with larger established organizations which might not be using such uh, cutting-edge uh, technology stack at the moment, I will my ears to the podcast and see what you guys come up with. Uh, keep the great episodes coming.
1: Is there a cultural culture of entrepreneurship and outsource employees? Basically, I mean, one way to interpret this question that I'm hearing, Ian, is like, can you find co-founders overseas?
0: Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying as well.
1: I mean, I would say no. Can, but you'd really have to invest in the country and the culture. I mean, one reason why startups can be great in a place like the Philippines, Isaac, is that you can move here and reduce your living expenses and therefore increase your runway. Now I heard that you're still having a job and you're bootstrapping this company. So that can be a difficult move to ma- make. It can be difficult to forge the kind of relationship that's required to have a co-founder. Yeah. I would just advise if you're not willing to like commit to a country in terms of like your presence, then co-founders out the window. Now the question is, is what about like, you know, employee one through five, pretty tough. I'd say the, there is a startup community here, but I gotta say that that community is, is very, very, very small. You can get involved with everybody in that community in a weekend. Yeah, it's possible to find those top employees, but it's going to be tough. Now, on the other hand, to find some top technical support. What do
0: you think about saying that the Philippines is a good support network? I agree. Absolutely.
1: I mean, the Philippines is great for technical support, depending on what technology you're on. So that's really the second part of Isaac's question, which is the technologies in the Philippines that you're really going to be able to find are, you know, marketing support, of course, admin support, all kinds of English-based admin. In terms of technology, you're going to have a lot of people who are in PHP, JavaScript, Java, HTML, CSS. You're going to have a much tougher time finding people who are in cutting-edge technologies like Python and Ruby on Rails. You will be able to find people here that do that, and entry-level salary for people that are proficient Python developers is, you know, a thousand dollars a month entry level. There's just not, there's a small community of people doing that. You know, you can come here and find them by like hanging out, but you know, a lot of those guys, they're not going to want to work with some, it's, it's a very small community is all I'm saying. It's totally possible to do, but it's a very small community in general. There's a very small movement of mindset here in the Philippines uh, to like move to more of a startup mentality. But the truth is, is that 99% of people that have these technical skills, they're much more with like the corporate mindset and much more thought like, "Well, oh, I'll get a good college education. I'll get a good job. My personal experience is I have found it a little difficult to find people that believe in the startup idea and believe in putting in their time that like it's going to pay off for them on the back end. It's more like, a, like a, a now mindset. Like I'll come to work this month, create code for you and then you pay me and like then we're back at square one.
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing I think is important to realize about the Philippines is like it's it's a developing country. So like it's 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 pretty hard to have like the startup mindset there when you're making the most money that you've ever made in your entire life because some American is um, paying your wages. So, you know, that's something to consider is like in, in the US, I think we take that for granted.
1: Basically, if you need technical support, this is the place to be. If you need co founders, people that are really going like, to be in your war room with you, bring it to the next level, uh, you got to move here. You got to move here and see for yourself. It's not exactly a huge opportunity. Let me take a quick detour, Ian. Just to thank the, some recent customer reviews on the iTunes store. Super cool. Travelpersonality.com said great content, guys. I really appreciate that you're not just doing interviews, but you're sharing personal and valuable experience. Thanks a lot, Travel Personality. Uh, thanks to Kim, the WordPress chick, for her great review. She digs the content and the energy of the show, even the sound effects. Cha-ching, baby. Love it. Thanks to Patty Two Cakes as well. Only the most awesome podcast ever. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I think Is that one of your friends? No. No, I clicked on uh, their profile. Howdy uh, has been reviewing a lot of podcasts, so she's uh, or she or he is interested in uh, audio content just as I am. Thank you to everybody who's given us a review in the iTunes store. Okay, so today let's just get to the meat and potatoes, Ian. One of the toughest things in being an entrepreneur is selecting a market and taking action into that market. Let's just talk about four tips we've got today for successfully identifying and selecting a market for which to jump into. Uh, with a new product line, and with a new business. So uh, any background th- over- overview thoughts from you on this one, Ian?
0: This is just four tips. There's probably three million tips to uh, selecting for your algorithm, but this is just four tips. I think these are four important ones. So, The first tip is, is select a market where you can imitate more than innovate, and this is a popular topic right now in the blogosphere, is it not? Well, I, I mean, it's, a,
1: it's, a, it's an awesome topic brought up by Venkat from ribbonfarm.com. He wrote, a great article called Down with Innovation Up with Imitation. And right. we'll, we'll link you to that. And that kind of got us reflecting on our most successful market selection so far have been really based more on imitation than innovation. That's why we put this as a principle. Of course, you can innovate, but there's... Cost to that—it's very expensive to innovate, and it's risky. For us, like as a rule of thumb, in general, it makes more sense to imitate. So right. Let's talk a little bit about like what that looks like.
0: For us, what it's looked like so far is about eighty percent of our businesses copied directly from established industry, and then with like a twenty percent tweak. And that's generally how we've started most of our businesses for the first year to two years. After that, it changes a little bit, but um, it's definitely a, it's definitely been working for us so far. I mean. To give you an example, one of our companies, Dan and I manufacture, uh, so I was down at the beach this weekend, and uh, I happened to be taking a look at some... Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. I happened to be taking a look at some equipment down there, and and it happened that they had the manufacturer's name right on that equipment. So, of course, I took out my iPhone, took a picture of Sticker, and did some market research when I got back. What did I find out? That it's a very, very big industry with small players. We are not going to innovate as much as we are going to imitate in the beginning here. You
1: know, in our last piece of market selection, as we talked about in our niche selection podcast that will link C2, we went so far as to engage the same suppliers that, our competitors are using. Hey, well, it's working for them. Why reinvent the wheel? Let's just use the same suppliers. We're gonna market our products to the same keywords that they're targeting. We're gonna, you know, most of it's gonna be the same, but we're gonna have one 20% tweak. This segs really nicely into our second point. You only wanna imitate a market that you know people are making money. I mean, that's the biggest thing. The first thing you want to ask is, are these people making money? La- yesterday, for example, I was talking to David, a uh, Tropical MBA intern, having all kinds of cool discussions about market selection and taking action on those markets and how to do so. And we were talking about the expat industry here in the Philippines, like selling you know information about how to move here and how to retire here and all this stuff. And you like you look at this market and it's pretty quick to identify that there's not a lot of money in it. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, like, even though it would be convenient, like, given that we're just here and we're expats and we can publish that information, it's like, what's the end game there? I mean, ultimately, it's just not a big enough market to, like, make the kind of business that's going to give us the lifestyle that we want done. Like, it's out of consideration. You know what I mean? Next, next business.
0: <laughs> and I think you're, I think you're, it's really sharp to point out that you have to pick a market that makes sense for your lifestyle. Because, you know, I could say that this market is too small, but somebody else could say that it's plenty big, so... So we kind of factor in like how much we want to make and how much, how big we want the company. So one of the ways that I, that we did that once I got home was we uh, got onto Google and we checked out how much people are spending on their PPC ads Um, And we also figured out how many global searches there were for the top key terms. And one of the things you have to do when you're searching for top key terms is you kind of have to get creative. What you might call a soda bottle, somebody else might call a pop bottle. Get kind of creative, figure out what the industry lingo is in order to really get a good understanding of how many people are uh, buying these products on the Internet. I like
1: the idea of of analyzing how much a company is spending on their PPC ads. And there's ways you can do that with SEM Rush or, or you can go in an AdWords campaign yourself and see what it costs to, to get the top space in the ad space. And then just kind of based on the global monthly search terms, do a quick little math equation. Like, oh, say they get 2 3% of the clicks at the top spot. They're paying this for their click. They must be making at least X to justify the marketing budget. And you can say... Well, and for a small business, the average marketing budget is like 5 to 6% of total revenue. It's more of an art form, right, Ian? Because it can be a little bit different for each industry. Marketing budgets fluctuate. But you want to get an idea of how much money these people are making. Another way to, great way to do it is uh, Dun & Bradstreet uh, and also Hoovers.com. So we'll link to both of those. You can actually go into these services and see what the revenue of the company is. So, all right, this company is making their revenue off of X products. They made $4 million last year. Their likely profit margin is X. Like, is that something that's appealing to us, kind of thing? So you wanna, you really wanna look at that. Like, find creative ways to figure out how much money people are making, um, because that's gonna be the the same stream of income that that you're competing for. So the third point, Ian, is that it's not only important to figure out how much money your competition is making right now from a market, but what the overall behavior of that market is. I mean. Unless you have a really good reason to get into a market that isn't growing, you want to get into a growth market because nine out of ten businesses track with the market. So identifying right. an industry that is growing is really important. What are
0: some ways um, that we do that? You know, can you just give some examples? We know we know a guy. Uh, he buys and sells houses, right? And uh, one of his favorite things to do is to go into a newer community where they are building a Home Depot and a Walmart and buy houses in there. Because Walmart and Home Depot have already done most of the research for him. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of ways that large infrastructure companies have huge budgets for... R&D research, you know, and market research and figuring out where the growth spots are going to be and even creating the growth spots themselves. Looking in your industry to see who are the big players with the biggest research budgets, and then sort of following their path. Again, imitation, not innovation. Leveraging their research teams is a great move. Another thing, you another tool you can use is a tool called Google Trends. You can go to Google Trends and we'll link to that on the blog. And you can type in your key term and actually see how that key term has been trending over the course of many years. So are more people talking about this? Another way, uh, you know, another spot you can look at is, is, I don't know if there's a Twitter trending tool yet, but there should be one. Somebody should be working on that. I don't know if search.twitter does that. I've never actually personally done that. If you've got any uh, uh, Twitter people out there, is there a way that you can do that? Twitter might not be the, the best metric. There's also a lot of art form in this. And I would be really interested to hear if anybody in the audience has any input into this issue. It's difficult to give like really specific advice because this is an art, you know, like see- seeing this is what it's all about to be an entrepreneur, like getting the sense on the ground, like hearing a conversation, like seeing a manufacturer's badge somewhere, putting two and two together and just seeing what the future is going to bring. And and it, by all means, if you can't see it, go out and try to create it. <laughs> That's it. Right. Number four, to identify what fundamentally about your company's DNA can outperform the competition in the long run. This is sort of looking at those people that are making money in a growing market That you plan to imitate 80% of their market and then say, is there something that I can identify in the DNA of my company and myself that fundamentally I'm going to be able to outrun them in some critical way in in the five-year horizon? Can you give us some examples of, of how you do this? What does that mean? I mean, that's a vague point. Give us, break it down specifically for us, Ian. How do you, what do you mean by DNA? What do you mean by DNA? And like, what are the things that you look at when evaluating competition?
0: I think one of the thing, one of the main things that I look at is uh, just the personalities that are involved in the companies. Getting in contact with with your competition, understanding their personality. Like for example, we have a uh, we have a competitor that's like very old school. Uh, in the way that they do business. And so one of the opportunities there that we're, that we're taking advantage of is basically uh, copying a lot of their business model, bringing it to new world internet marketing.
1: The critical point here is finding ways to talk to your competition or talk to people who have. So you can, if you're going to set up a supplier relationship, you can ask them about dealing with your other competitor, right? And you can start to get ideas about who they are fundamentally because it's very difficult for founders, for companies that are forged by founders, by CEOs, for, for them to like fundamentally change their attitude or their mindset or their approach to the market. I mean, I think that's kind of the principle that all this rests on. So when you can understand that person and when you look at a company, one of the things I do, Ian, is I look at their website. I try to figure out what platform they develop their their website in. I'll do something yeah. like I will search for the backlinks. I will do a backlink analysis to see what kind of internet marketing they've been doing. I'll look to see if they've got like SEO one oh one covered. Like are they naming their H1 tags on their pages with like effective targeted, are they making landing pages? These kinds of things, like those things, like even though, even though they can be simple, each individual thing, we've been investing in that stuff for three years, that knowledge, that thought space. So for someone that's not even there on the map, to get into it. It's a huge investment. Other, other things, Ian, like what's the quality of their photo assets? What's the quality of their video assets? Those things can be very expensive to bring into a company. If you've got those talents already, I mean, if you've got an SLR camera and a, photo- and a wicked photography habit, like you're going to bring that stuff immediately to the table and it's going to be tough for other people to catch up or expensive. And look, we're talking about small business too. Businesses that are under $5 million, maybe they have under... 20 employees, it can be difficult to just bring in a web team. You know, our web team, Ian, if, if some company wanted to just outright buy us and not organically develop us, I mean, that's the difference is that certain companies, they organically develop a certain way. And a lot of companies, they might've developed without needing great photos or without needing great web mark. And then all of a sudden it's boom, like that's a quarter million dollar investment for them in cash that they need to make in order to catch up with a company like ours that is sort of organically developed bootstrap those talents over the course of many years. And that's our DNA now. That's part of our right. DNA. And so and so we contrast that with potential people in markets that we want to compete with. Sounds so baller when you say it like that. It's probably not so baller and on, on, on the real ground. Hey, the bottom line and the reason that we're sharing these four tips today is that Ian and I in the past week have decided on two new markets to go after. And so that should give us some really exciting Uh, I'm excited to sort of track, you know, I I love the episode we did about how to make a $6,000 niche site in six months, which was our last niche selection. And now we've got two new awesome niches that we're going to be going after. In the future, you know, like a a lot of people know we're manufacturers and designers, but we're going to be focusing a lot more on proactively developing audiences and markets in the digital space after that's developed, bringing in our manufacturing and design talent. And so we're getting really proactive about going out, doing this market selection, doing exactly the four points that we talked about today, and then taking bold action, which is developing the brand name, buying the URL, putting up great content, and starting to get the ball rolling on. Ball rolling, Ian, is that phone number, baby. That big phone number. Got to have (laughs) that phone number. Got to have that phone number and starting to talk to people about, hey, we're in this business now. We want to start doing this stuff. All right. So let's get started on the quick tips,
0: tricks, And or funny joke section. Ian, what do you got for us today? I've just got a little quick tip. I know that you've got four, so I'll try not to take up too much of your time here. Uh, Just a little (laughs) simple quick tip. I think it's in Windows 7. I know for sure that it's in Windows Vista. It's a trick that I learned not too long ago. It's a way that I uh, share information with my team and also with my customers very quickly. Um, And the reason why this stemmed was because my freaking print screen didn't work for the longest time and I couldn't figure out how to get it to work. So I unearthed the snipping tool and the snipping tool is pretty cool it's a hidden gem inside of uh, windows and you just search for it down there prompt and it comes up and basically you can just uh, crop your screen anywhere you want save it and send it to whoever you'd like so it's a pretty cool little feature
1: i really like print screen actually some people you know maybe aren't hip to communicating via print screen sending little screenshots it's a really effective way just to say hey i saw this picture speak a thousand words
0: you know what i had i had uh Two separate meetings this where I use like a screen capture um, software and people were like blown away by it. Like this is like just the oldest newest technology ever. I mean, screen capture has been going on forever. I guess you know one of the things that's made it a lot better is just the connection speeds. So you're able to share stuff in real time. That's really real time without glitches. So so I think that's a, that's a huge uh, huge thing for a lot of people. And I know that I like blew the pants off two people. Uh, this week in presentation, so and I, I think it was using WebEx.
1: Well, the cool thing is you can you can also like leverage stuff that's already been created on the web. So like you don't have to make like these special PDF or illustrated documents anymore. Like I'll just like we were doing a video last week that like talked about some of our products or whatever. I just went to our product landing pages and took a screenshot and tossed it over the video. And the way you can do that on a map, Mac actually is command shift four. And there's a bunch of like Mac. Mac has like what you just talked about in the quick tip times ten. There's a bunch of other uh, commands that do different types of screenshots that are dynamic and cool. And I'll share. uh, Actually, uh, yeah. So uh, everything that Ian just said for Windows gets blown out of the water by the Mac. Uh, But yeah, the most basic is Command Shift four. Use it every day. One quick tip: I'm a really big reader. Actually, our uh, opt-in blog post right now, ten game-changing thinkers, is all is ten books. So that's what that podcast is about. I love books. I just finished a really great one called The Black Swan, and uh, it's by Nassim Nicholas Talib. I found a a funny quote by him on the internet. He said, the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. I think we've already talked about (laughs) carbohydrates and monthly salaries. Let's not get into the heroin thing right yet. (laughs) Uh, that's for once you get the bala bala income, hopefully. I'm on a no carbohydrates diet right now. I'll share more about that in upcoming episodes. But I want to share a quick tip called myecovermaker.com. I was doing an interview with Chris Ducker the other day. We were talking about one of his new services that I'm going to be pimping out at my outsourcing blog. I really wanted to package an ebook that I had created with the help of a virtual assistant. You know, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, really, because, you know, it's just an ebook, and I'm just kind of putting it out there, and, and so I was like, well, how am I going to get a cover design? I don't want to send this to our designer, you know what I mean? Because they're going to spend, like, yeah. four hours making it look sweet and all this stuff, and I, I can't spend four hours on this. So I'm just tooling around at dinner time on the laptop, and I find my e-cover maker, and I go in there, and I upload the podcast logo, and I literally, within five minutes, I had an awesome, awesome looking one of those little pictures, like, of an ebook, you know? And it, yeah, I can't got,
0: stand those. So that's great.
1: Well, you know, you're not a you're not an e product buyer, but once you kind of you know get into that market, then you, you get used to looking at stuff like that. And they've got um, built into the software they put in like the cool reflections and shadows that really make it look nice and can be difficult to for your designer to mimic. They've got four designs that are totally free, no watermark. You can just get using them, and they've got 32 templates that you can download for like nine dollars a month. I mean, even if you're a design professional, this is potentially a great deal and will save you tons of time. So if you're doing anything like audio, audio, video, ebooks, if you're selling any kind of information product, uh, myecovermaker.com is an absolutely awesome product to get these things done quick.
0: I noticed that some of them, that you can select the uh, the thickness of the book. I really appreciate that. You, know, you see some of these like uh ebook covers and they're like super thick and then when you download them they're like 14 pages. So Yeah,
1: and they've got like something like 30 different templates so you can choose something that really fits the character of your product. If it's like a 14 hour audio course, you want to have like a bunch of different like DVD jackets lined up, right? And right. if it's, like my book is uh, it's tough to say, my the book that I purchased, I didn't write the book, it's 42,000 words. And so that's like 150 pages. So I selected a book that has like a medium thickness just to give people, you know, the idea. So again that's my e-cover maker Ian, thanks for joining me today. Do you have anything else we need to share before we get popping off?
0: Getting ready to go to Bali. This might be the last time we talk before we are in Bali and expect a product out of that, huh?
1: I absolutely can't believe how fast that has come up. I actually have to get moving on tons of stuff. And so I'm going to go do that. Talk to you very soon, Ian. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there. Get yourself signed up and we'll keep you up to
0: date on everything.